If you're a deadbeat, we're going to deal with you. Or some of the words, freeloader, deadbeat, bum. That's about as far as I can go, I guess. One final issue that Paul will address that apparently at this point in time was peculiar to the Thessalonian church. And it goes back in consideration of all that he has taught the church in both first and second Thessalonians. The overall uh, address, teaching, has to do with the second coming of Christ. And we saw how the people had become confused because there was a rumor going around that Christ had come and that somehow they missed the rapture or they were already in the day of God's wrath, whatever. And so they thought, well, I'm going to clock in tomorrow. I'm just going to sit here and wait. Other more thoughtful, deeper brethren of the Thessalonian church were addressing the issue. Word came back to the apostle Paul that some of these able-bodied people just had stopped working and were expecting the others of the church to take care of them, to provide for their needs. And I've been thinking about this for several days in my mind, preparing for for this message and this passage I just, I can't remember in any of the churches where I have pastored uh, facing this kind of thing. Um, So it it was something, I expected it's unusual, uh, but it can happen. Uh, The the Corinthians, you know, they they had a problem where where these people were coming in to enjoy what we just enjoy, the supper of the Lord, and then a a time of fellowship like we're going to do tonight. But they were coming so that they could eat and get drunk. I don't think we've ever had that problem either. (laughs) We're not Episcopalian after all, right? So, in Thessaloniki, there was a problem. And since the Holy Spirit has addressed it through the pen of the Apostle Paul, it's something that we should be prepared for and understand as Christians. And it has to do with work ethic. Now, this is something that is taught to God's people all the way through in both Testaments. The importance of self-provision, the importance of of work, the importance of personal responsibility in culture, in society, and of course, in church. 
So there are certain ways to address this as Paul does here with regard to how it had uh, cropped up in the Thessalonian church. Ways to motivate uh, the church to deal with deadbeats and maybe in motivating the church, motivate the, the deadbeats as well. So number one, such a person cannot remain status quo. You can't ignore this kind of thing in the church where a person is able-bodied. Now, let me hasten to say, thankfully and happily, I suppose in every church where I've pastored, the church was always prepared and willing to help those among the brothers and sisters who couldn't help themselves. That happens. Of course that happens. And we should be prepared to do that. Our first obligation, as a matter of fact, we're taught in the New Testament, our first obligation is to our brothers and sisters in Christ who need our help. Then there are those, apparently, especially in the Thessalonian church, who just wouldn't work. Their excuse apparently was, well, we were just taught that Jesus had just gone up and he's coming right back down and we're just going to wait for him. And, and if it's this close and, and, and we're supposed to be in the day of wrath, you know, uh, we're just going to, if it's okay, we'll just come over and eat supper with you uh, tonight. And Paul says, well, no, that ain't all right. That ain't okay. You can't do that. So, such a person cannot remain in the status quo. And here we go in verse 6. Now we command, boy, that's a strong word, parangelamin, close beside para. And the root of the next word of the compound is angelos, that's angel, an informer, a message bringer. And the Greek word speaks of someone who gets right next to you and looks you in the eye and informs you of something in the form of a command. Now, the Apostle Paul is an apostle. Now, we command you. That means that it's an issue that he means to have resolved. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to withdraw from every brother walking disorderly and not according to the tradition that you received from us. Now that's, uh, that's pretty strong talk. One who walks disorderly, a tactus. The alpha prefix is to negate the rest of the word. And, and tactus means to be orderly. Um, or to be in sync, to observe the rank. The alpha in front of that means that such a person is disorderly. He's not orderly. He's not in sync. He's out of sync. He's not well behaved. He's unruly. So he's describing a person who is overbearing and obnoxious in his insistence to be snuggled up to those who he expects to help him. Here's what Paul says. Walk away from him. 
withdraw from him, from every brother walking disorderly and not according to the tradition that you receive from us. You remember that word tradition? We talked about it last time. It was in the previous text that we were in. And it's a word, it's a, it's a word that talks about the word that was passed down. And that word of instruction is expected to be followed. Now, it's not speaking of a tradition about which side of the stage the piano is supposed to be on or the organ. It's not that kind of tradition. Or, well, I'll stop there. But, you know, it's not that kind of tradition. This has to do with apostolic doctrine, bringing the word as an apostle, teaching and expecting the people to follow in the instruction so that it becomes something that's passed down from the apostle or passed over and then passed down to those who are taught. He said, we didn't teach you this. He's going to tell him in just a minute, neither did you see us act that way, but not, not according to the tradition that you received from us. You're to withdraw from every brother. Don't pander to that. Now it gets a little deeper here. Paul says, you just can't ignore them. They can't remain status quo and you can't ignore the example that we set for you. For you yourselves know how it behooves you to imitate us. The apostle Paul was what we would call in, in the modern day, a bivocational worker. And he talks about this more than once in other letters that he writes in the New Testament. When he gave his farewell to the Ephesians, for example, and they were weeping and crying and carrying on. And Paul reminded, he said, there's one thing among other things you need to remember. I never coveted any of your gold and I never pandered to you and never ever expected from you or accepted from you some kind of help that you thought that I had come here just so that you could enrich my life in some way. Paul was very, very um, attentive to that. These were brand new Christians. These were brand new churches. The Lord chose the apostle Paul because his life, he had prepared Paul or Saul of Tarsus. He had prepared him all of his life so that he could be this apostle to carry the word of God, the gospel of Christ to the Gentile world. He grew up in the Gentile world. He was a Roman citizen. He was a tent maker. He could repair sails. He could take the, the material that, that tents and sails were made from and he could repair other things that needed to be repaired. And he carried his stuff with him wherever he went, his tools of the trade. And there was always a demand for his kind of work. So he would go and set up shop wherever he went. He didn't ask them, don't forget, let's sign a contract, let me find what you're gonna pay. No, he didn't do that. So he says here, Imitate us because we were not unruly among you. We were not out of sync. We were not disorderly, 
nor did we eat bread from anyone without payment. Now he probably, if you go back to Acts 16 and 17, he probably stayed in the house of Jason. And it's not to take away from the kindness of Jason, but it is to focus on Paul's um, sensitivity to the burden that he caused people and to the cost of things. He, he didn't ignore that at all. Paul's a classy guy. So he says, we were not unruly among you, nor did we eat bread from anyone without payment. Okay. He could have, I don't, the Bible, he, he may have been with Jason at this time, whatever, wherever he was, he paid them because there was a cost to his being there. There was a, there was a cost uh, to maintain things the way they should be. There was wear and tear on whatever Paul uh, was, was with or was in. And then there was the food that he ate. He said, I paid wherever I was. I never did anything without payment. And I worked day and night in labor and hardship. Those are two very severe words. One is hard labor and the other is struggle. Intense struggle. I did what I had to do to make sure. Now, Paul wasn't alone either. He had a traveling party with him wherever he went. He had people going with him. So it seems to me that he also, through his work, would take care of those who were with him. He wasn't going to cost the church anything. You remember perhaps when King David took the found the property where the temple was to be built. The owner of the property said, okay, it's yours. I give it to you. And David said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And so he paid, he insisted and he paid fair market price for the property. The apostle Paul understands the cost of things. He's a businessman. He understands that just living life itself requires um, financial acuity. It, it requires uh, money or whatever, Roman coins, however they paid in that time, whatever counted as money. It requires it to live. In addition to that, Paul wanted to be sure that the people saw that he was setting for the church an example. Working day and night in labor and hardship in order not to be burdensome to any of you. Not that we have not the right. Now the New Testament teaches that uh, the teacher is worthy, is worthy of double honor or double pay. He said, we have the right. But you see, the Thessalonians were suffering themselves. Why? Would he add a burden to the burdens they were already suffering? Well, he wouldn't do it. But that we may offer ourselves and as, as an example to you for you to imitate us. That's the whole reason that Paul did what he did because seeing the meager fare of the Thessalonians having been ostracized in their culture and society... Paul knew that even though he was sure they would be willing to take care of him and, and, and do whatever was needed, he wouldn't, he wouldn't accept it. He didn't require it. 
because he wanted to be an example that they might imitate him and his traveling party. If there's one thing that we understand, hopefully, as Christians, and the Bible teaches us to have the common sense that we should have and to be responsible whenever and wherever we live, to be responsible people, to take care of ourselves and those for whom we are responsible. Now, I'll talk about that a little more here in just a second. You cannot overlook someone's refusal to provide, that is, for himself or those in his household. For even when we were there with you, we were commanding this to you that if anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. I'm running for president, and this is my platform. I won't get voted in. Well, I ain't running for president. It'd be a step down for me. But I'll tell you, Paul had written to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, and he addressed this same thing in, a, in another way. And he said, if you have a brother, a so-called brother, if there is a man among you who doesn't provide for his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Think about that. First Timothy 5. So here's, what he, here's how he addresses it here. If anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. You can tell by looking at me that I'm motivated to work. <laughs> I have to eat. I got to have it. So, what it was, the implication is, if he's not willing to work, he's, he's denying his responsibility as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a believer in Christ, and as a meaningful brother in Christ who is part of the church. And it doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. The one rotten apple is the one everybody's going to see. And that person would be a reflection upon the whole church. Well, that bunch of Christians, they don't want to work. They expect everybody just to take care of them and give them. Well, that's the way it'll come through. Paul addresses it and nips it in the bud. If anyone is not willing to work, neither let him eat. The next instruction to the church is, because of those people, you cannot tolerate idle troublemakers. For we hear some among you are walking disorderly. Not at all working, but being busybodies, or the word can also be translated meddlers. The, if, you know, what's the old saying? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Paul had said, what was it, uh, the three points? I think I don't, he said, sit down, shut up, and go to work, or something like that, in 1 Thessalonians. 
And here he says, we warn and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ so that they may eat their own bread and work with quietness. Mind your own business. Work and tend to your work. And do so, in doing so, you will avoid the temptation of being a busybody, a meddler. Just sit around with some people sometime who have nothing better to do than just sit around. Man, they'll let it roll. It can be entertaining. You might, you might be a doctoral student, maybe in sociology or something, and you just want to sit down with people like that, and maybe you just want to make something up and start the conversation. There is no lack of opinion, which is a fact to the one who says it. It's kind of pitiful. It speaks to the fallen nature of who we are. That's why the law says, you know, don't bear false witness. We do it all the time because of our fallen nature. We don't check out everything that we say about other people. We just repeat it. We'll forward the email or post it on Facebook or whatever. And probably 99 times out of 100, we're bearing false witness. Happens all the time. Busybodies have to say something. Well, here's what Paul says. You know what? If you'll go to work, provide for yourself and your family with your hands, and you do it quietly... You won't have any time to meddle in the affairs of others. Now you brothers shall not grow weary in well-doing. A little minor caution here. And it goes back to something I said earlier. There are people who really have need. You can't be so hard-hearted that you overlook those who actually have need. From time to time, people come here and they have needs. And we, we have a method, the, the best way we can, to, to check it out and make sure it's a valid request. Make sure this is really... But then when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ, we generally know that according to the situation, they could use some assistance at that point in time. That happens to everybody at some point in time. So Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing. Just know that those who are able-bodied and are the deadbeats among you, those are the ones that you are to shun. Withdraw from them, and if they don't work, don't let them eat. Let them find their own bread. Because Paul says you cannot fellowship with such a person. So he says, then if anyone does not obey our instruction through this letter, take note of this man, not to mix with him, so that he may be ashamed. Shame the person. <laughs> wow. Take note of one who doesn't obey our instruction through this letter. 
Don't mix with him. Leave him off to himself so that he may feel and experience the shame that really he deserves being such a disorderly member of the church, part of the body. But quickly, Paul says, you must not regard him as an enemy. We all have flaws and we all falter. And we all need admonition and exhortation from time to time. Not a, not a person of us can escape that. And Paul knows this. He says, yet esteem, don't esteem him as an enemy. Don't lift him up and separate him to the point that you see him as an enemy. Understand that as a brother, he needs to be admonished. This is a teachable moment, not just for him, but for the whole church, for the older people and for the younger people. They all need to see the importance of the work ethic as those of us who are in Christ. We don't walk away from these basic responsibilities in life. Yes, we're looking for the return of Christ but until Christ has caught me up into his presence, I keep working and doing what I can do to do the best that I can do to provide and to be a good member in my church, to be a supporter, a responsible person in Christ. But now let me concentrate here, the last part of how Paul ends the letter. Because it should bring a comfort to all of us. He's closing out his last letter to the Thessalonians. And it's always there. Grace and peace and the presence of the Lord. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace through all, or you could say through everything, pantos. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace through all, through it all, in every way. So that there's not, a, so that there's not an episode in life where you cannot rest in the peace of the Lord. The Lord's peace. Because the Lord is with us. He accompanies us, all of us, all the time. The Spirit of Christ. Too many times we either doubt Him, we don't have faith, or we struggle against it. It's just, I don't know why it is difficult for people to understand the importance of faith. To receive faith. To have faith. Faith. Just trust Christ. Boy, this is a tough one. Well, Jesus is here. It's his problem just like it's yours. Because he accompanies us. Every one of us. He gives us peace through everything in every way because he is with us. Ever and always. Now he closes it out. The greeting in my own hand, which is my sign in every letter. I write this manner. I write in this manner. But the final and biggest of all, grace.
We have peace because his, of his grace. We have the presence of Christ because of his grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, accompany you, all of you. Always growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, accompany you, all of you. All of you in Christ have the presence of Christ. Do you have peace? Well, you're not, you're not turning it over. You're not just collapsing into the presence of a sovereign God and thanking him for his gracious power and presence. His peace. He is a peaceful God. He's not a confusing God. The author of confusion is the enemy, the, oh, Satan, the devil, not the Lord. There's no reason for any of us right now in Christ not to have peace. You see, I slip up a lot here. And when I slip up, it's usually because I'm looking at what might happen tomorrow. What is going to happen next week? But then I'm, I, I, I'm reminded and I fall back on the scripture. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring. Now, some of us in the, con, in the greater context would think, well, that's talking about we, we may die or the, the, something may happen. The Lord may come. But it, can, it can go beyond that, though. You don't know what a day may bring. The difficulties of today in Christ will be solved with the provisions of tomorrow. I, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I have this issue that I have to face. And I don't know what it's going to bring tomorrow. My personal illustration is going to the dentist. I hate the dentist. Listen, I'm claustrophobic I, and I don't like people hovering over me and putting their hands in my mouth. I can't stand it. And I told this guy, matter of fact, we looked up in the yellow pages. Who can calm me down? in a dentist chair. We found this guy in Athens <laughs> when you know what he died. But uh, <laughs> that was before I went to him the second time. And I was thinking, well, I have this consternation today, but tomorrow when I go to the dentist, God will take care of it. The presence and power of God Almighty came to me in the presence of a little tiny white pill. Oh, son, that put me on a Disney World ride. Yeah, drill it, baby. I love the sound of that drill. It does something to you. Well, here, here's the deal. That might not be the best illustration I could have used. Okay, well, man. I forget Pat start coming up here and giving my illustrations. Let me tell you, God provided for me. He, it's it's going to be taken care of. It, we, 
Just rest. Christ is our Sabbath. Repose and rest in Christ. God is already in tomorrow while we are still passing through today. Peace from the Lord of peace himself because of his presence and because of his grace which accompanies me always. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. We would plead with you not to leave this place not knowing Christ. Just a moment we'll have our benediction and We'll be dismissed from this room, but right across the hall as you exit, we have deacons and wives standing in the door waiting to pray with you, to share with you the joy of salvation in Christ. Maybe you're here and as a Christian, you would come and be a part of Shiloh. They're ready to take care of all of the details of church membership if, if you as a Christian would come now and be a part of our fellowship. Right now, let's all prayerfully stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed in prayer.